Hello and welcome back to The Hard Yards. For my regulars, it's episode 19. And if you're a first-time listener, thank you for listening in. And by all means, if you enjoy it, please share it around. This week's guest is a listener of the show and also a student of mine as an avid golfer playing off a very impressive handicap of plus one. This week, we'll look at elite-level sport from a different perspective, at a career that is often the source of our yelling at TVs on the weekend, but at the same time, a critical career if we want to watch our favourite teams running around each week. This week's guest is an up-and-coming AFL umpire, and his name is Alex Wetton. Thanks for joining me on The Hard Yards, Alex, and importantly as well, thanks for being a fan of The Hard Yards and for listening in the previous episodes, mate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Pleasure to be on. Mate, I have to say, looking at you and our podcast guests don't get to see this, but, mate, you, you, you're looking a bit different than in your uh, canary yellow outfit on the, out on the AFL field. You've got the suit, you've got the, the boardroom there, mate. That uh, suggests that you're doing a little bit of work other than being an AFL, AFL umpire. Is that, is that uh, part of the gig these days? Mate, it's definitely part of the gig for, for most of the guys. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, our commitment to, to footy extends to the weekend, to, to training throughout the week. Um, but outside of that, I don't know, my mind races pretty fast. So um, I think I'd get pretty bored if I wasn't doing something else during my downtime if, um, if I'm not uh, out in the golf course or, or anywhere else. So, um, yeah, look, I'm a, a mortgage broker outside of footy. I work for a company called um, the Queen Financial Group. Um, which have got an office in Brisbane City in Melbourne, uh, which suits me pretty well with all my travel requirements. Um, but, yeah, I love doing stuff outside of footy as well. So is that something you've always done, mate? Was that sort of, um, you know, career-driven through school and then AFL umpiring became a, something later on? Or how did you sort of find that balance between being a mortgage broker and, and an AFL umpire? Um, I think it probably comes from my upbringing you know my parents were always massive drivers of you know um, make sure you got something to fall back on make sure there's something to pursue after a footy after you know uh, golf at one stage after uh, um, you know whatever you try to pursue in life always make sure that there's something else there to make sure you can prop yourself up and um, you know give yourself a firm grounding so I think that was probably a lot of my, my upbringing. From your parents did you grow up in Brisbane or? Yeah, I grew up in Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was something for my, uh, my folks, I guess, uh, growing up. So, grew up in Brisbane, played footy, um, you know, and every kid's ambition is to, to play footy or, or, for me as well, play golf. Um, but my parents were always there to go, absolutely, pursue that 100%. But, um, you know, also uh, have a think about if that doesn't always work out, um, what else have we got? And, you know, for me, I was fortunate enough that, that footy worked out and I'm able to um, not play but, but umpire at the highest level. Um, and then I'm also uh, a mortgage broker by day and, and can follow that, um, that career as well. What about, so obviously growing up, you were, as you said, playing footy. I'm just trying to think about that day that comes around where you feel like, okay, I'm not going to make it as a footballer. Um, what about being a, being an AFL umpire? Is it, is it the passion behind the game and the love of the game that drives you to go, okay, well, I can't make it as a player. I'm going to go this way and still try and chase a career within the industry? I think it's that. Um, I can't head down the day that I realised I wanted to be an AFL umpire. I just don't, I don't think there was a specific day. Sure. Um, but I, I realised pretty quickly... Um, I, I grew up playing footy with Harris Andrews at the Aspley Hornets. And now um, Harris and I were pretty, pretty similar size when we were under 12. <laughs> um, Sorry, I laugh, I laugh there, mate, because <laughs> I've stood across from Harris Andrews in the pro shop at Nudgee and I've stood across from you at the golf course at Nudgee. And, yeah, you, you, what happened? You, you stopped eating or, or what, mate? <laughs> Somewhere along that journey, I've kind of figured out, you know what, maybe – Footy's not for me. Playing <laughs> I'm not going to be able to compete with the likes of these guys. So, um, you know, somewhere along the line, I think I finished playing footy up about um, under 14s, under 16s. Yeah. Um, I was umpiring prior to that. So I think I started when I was about 13 or 14. You know, you'd rock up in the morning, you'd umpire the under 10s game, collect a pie and, and a Coke, and then go <laughs> and, and um, play in the afternoon. So that, that was always fun for me. Um, and then... I started to get some really cool appointments as, as an umpire. You know, I umpired um, under-15 schoolboy states in national championships. 
Um, I was in at line what with, age were you doing that? What age were you uh, at that stage? 13 or 14. Oh, wow. So umpiring older age group national titles and things. Yeah, yeah I think I think through my whole younger journey, I was always umpiring guys older than me. Yeah, um, wow. So they never let me umpire the same age group because I was still playing at the same time. Sure. Um, and I guess they felt I was, I was half better enough to umpire guys older than me. So um, I got some really cool appointments umpiring-wise and, and that made me think a little bit more about how far I see myself going playing and, and umpiring-wise. Um, if I continued playing, I might not have gotten such cool opportunities to umpire at higher levels than, than if I was to continue umpiring and, and playing at the same time. Now, this might be a difficult question to ask based on what you just said, but the cool opportunities you've had to umpire at higher levels now, and, and I'm assuming you're talking in the, in the AFL and running out onto big stadiums around us or the biggest stadiums in Australia. Um, what's it like running out there or walking out there as a group of umpires? Do you still, is it still uh, adrenaline flowing? Like I imagine it is for, for the players. Um, do you feel the atmosphere? Can you, you know, are you nervous? Um, I'm definitely nervous before games yep. uh, in, in the lead up, you know, and I think that's just because you're passionate about what you do. You uh, prioritize or you want to do a good job. Um, so I think the nerves come from that. Yeah, sure. But, um, you know, when we walk out there as a team, we're pretty calm. We, we spend a lot of time getting in the right mindset and adrenaline's not that for us um, yes. uh, versus uh, players. So, you know, we're pretty quite calm. It's the way I like to describe it. It's almost like a euphoric feeling. You know, you hear the roar of the crowd. They don't roar for us, obviously, but um, you know, there's there's crowd noise. A bit different this year, but you look around and there's there's stacks of people in the stadium, and you feel a real sense of um, I think gratitude's the best way to put it. That yeah, right. you have the opportunity to be out there um, for me, anyway. So um, that that's probably it for me when we walk out onto the ground. You know, I used to go to the gather and watch games as a kid um, and to be there in the middle of the ground. Um, now I, I sort of look back and go, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Surreal moment. What about, uh, so uh, what I'm hearing from that is that like elite athletes, there's a, I guess a phrase that gets used a lot called the ideal performance state. So I guess what, what I hear from you there is that the ideal performance state as a group of umpires is that you need to be at a certain calmness, um, clarity of mind, understanding what you're about to do um, and not get caught up in, as you said, the adrenaline flowing and pumping by the crowd and the noise and the, the, the players running out. So I guess there's still, even umpiring, there's still an ideal performance state that you guys are trying to get yourselves into. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a massive aspect of it. Um, you know, we can't get caught up in, um, you know, crowd noise when there's 50% of people calling, holding the ball, 50% calling in the back <laughs> and all these kinds of things. Um, they're all external noise and you've got to try and block that out as, as best you can um, and, you know, make the right decision at the right time. So there's, there's certainly an aspect of the right mindset as well. Yeah, for sure. So let's go back to continue on the journey a little bit and just maybe fill in my listeners in what's the process for an umpire like yourself. So you've come through, you know, umpiring uh, junior football, I guess, and then made yourself, got yourself into national school boys and things like that. Where do you go from there? What's the journey? What's the route that, you know, if there's anyone out there listening in who is thinking about the same journey that you're on or, um, you know, gets to that point in their AFL journey where they think, all right, I'm not going to be good enough to make it. Uh, tell us about the journey of how does it transgress? How does it move forwards? Yeah, look, it's not too dissimilar to, to players. Um, I was really fortunate when I was umpiring in, in junior footy, I reckon at about 2012, I was given the opportunity at the National, the National School Boys Carnival to travel over to South Africa um, on, a, wow. on an international tour that year. Um, I came back from that and I was selected to trial uh, for the state league panel that year. So going into 2013, um, I was 
then selected in the, the state league panel and in Queensland, that's, that's the NEFL. Um, yep. And yeah, debuted, debuted that same year. So went through the entire preseason as a um, called development umpire, trialing for the state league panel was selected. And then I think I ran in round two of that year. So I missed round one, but was really fortunate to, to run in round two of that NEFL season. Umpired for a few more years, was given an opportunity to run finals, uh, run a run a NEFL grand final in, in 2015. Yeah, wow. Um, so that's and, only two years into the sort of two years later. Yeah. 13, yeah. 14, 15. So essentially three, I suppose. Seasons. Um, was really fortunate to umpire a, um, a NEFL grand final. From there, our process is uh, you're rookie listed, which means as a state-based umpire, you sit the bench as an emergency. So you get a feel for what it's like on game day. If an well, in the or, AFL. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that predominantly, is that predominantly you would have done being Brisbane boy, you would have sat just for Gabba games? Gabba and Metricon, yeah. Oh yeah, down the coast as well, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just sat watching, waiting waiting for an opportunity and as a rookie, the opportunity is a bloke to get injured. So you're sort of, you're hoping but not hoping too much. Um, <laughs> Are you ever sitting there on game day thinking, oh, just do a hammy, one of you guys, and I'm out there? Some days. Um, <laughs> you're like, Okay, what would I do if I actually got on? Uh, and usually, oh, maybe maybe I'll let the other boys handle it um, and wait wait till it's my turn. So, um, yeah, you know, you sit and you learn so much um, as as a rookie umpire. You sit the bench, watch the guys run around. We're all mic'd up, so you're listening into what they're saying, trying to right. pick up things that they do really well, how they communicate to players, uh, those kinds of things. Um, and then I spent two or three years on the rookie list. And was promoted to the senior panel in uh, the start of the 2019 season. 18? 2018? 2019? 2018 season. 2018, I think, yeah, in my info I've got here. So you touched on the... So once, you, once you're elevated into the senior panel, does that mean now you're going to be starting to be allocated um, on-field games? Yes. So uh, start of 2018 season, um, I was obviously still in Queensland and... It's, um, it's a requirement to be in Melbourne uh, as, as an AFL umpire. So at the start of, or probably February, March of 2018, I moved down to Melbourne, relocated. Wow, um, so you have to be living there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that from a training perspective and an ongoing coaching and education as an umpire? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we, we've certainly come a long way, especially this year, given the limitations we've had in terms of sure. how we can meet. But um yeah, look, it's, it's, I think it's really important to be a part of the group uh, down in Melbourne. So, yeah, I picked up, picked up my life, moved down to Melbourne in, um, in March of, of that year. I think it was round seven I debuted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, got my, got my first game in the AFL that year. And that game was Brisbane v Collingwood that you debuted in. Who yeah. do you support as a fan of the game, or can you not support anyone as a as an umpire? Um, oh, look, I, I grew up following Brisbane when I was when I was um, playing footy in you know under nines and tens. Brisbane were, were in their heyday through you know two thousand two three. Yeah, exactly. So look, I, I followed Brisbane growing up, but you know, like I've been umpiring for for a fair time now, um, and I think once you focus on umpiring and focus on the game and the aspect of what you're out there to do the whole who do you support thing just just goes out the window um you know i enjoy watching footy for the game and the spectacle that it is um you know and i, I don't really support anybody anymore for, for obvious reasons but like yeah, I said, must make must make it so difficult to support anyone yeah no look i think that that went out the window for me quite a few years ago yeah so you just enjoy the you enjoy watching the games for the for the actual uh, love of the game, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, you know, I'm not going to be a part of finals, which I'm, uh, you know, obviously a little bit disappointed about. But you know, I can't wait to, to go out and watch um, the the final series unfold at the Gabba Adelaide Oval. It's obviously going to be in Perth as well, um, and watch watch my mates go go out there and, and do their thing as much as the blokes that that miss out on the, the final twenty two do the same thing. So, you know, we get as much of enjoyment watching our mates do our, uh, do their thing as well. 
it's a question that I was going to ask, and you've just answered it there, that you're not a part of the final series. How many umpires, how many AFL umpires are there? And given that there's four finals over the course of this weekend, that's three on-field umpires plus an emergency, I imagine, plus your boundary umpires. Um, you know, how many umpires are there? And so how many of you guys missed out on finals? And given that you've now been umpiring 2018, 19, 20, so I'm guessing you're starting to, you know, tally up some games in the system, just like a player would over a series of years. How far away do you feel like that is? Do you get any education as to how close you are? Is it a fact of experience? Umpires maybe hanging up the boots and the next opportunity rises. So is it right back to when you were, you know, a, a junior hoping to get a senior game? Oh, there's there's uh, definitely elements of that. Um, we've got 34 field umpires on our list. Okay. Of which it gets chopped down and it's very cutthroat. So of which it gets chopped down to 16. Yes. Um, of which, uh, sorry, it gets chopped down to 16. We generally have two reserve this year. Um, then there's 14 that either run and sit, and then it gets chopped down to 12 um, of running umpires. So um, 34 down to 12 is, is a massive cut. Mm. Uh, so, and then that gets cut down even, even further as, you know, week two, three, and you're left with three umpires at the, yeah. end, of, um, at the end of 34. So, um, it's, it's very cutthroat, um, experience. Plays a major, yeah. I was going to say, what's that based on? Carry on. Yeah. Experience plays a major part in that. Um, but you know, every umpire is assessed on, on their performance throughout the year. Um, so, you know, we're, we're assessed on our the correct decisions we make, the missed, uh, missed free kicks we might've missed. And then also the unwarranted free kicks that we pay, uh, and shouldn't have paid. So, um, sure. Yeah, we've got a massive assessment. Um, everybody probably knows the arc from the, the score review. Um, our scoring and our performance is um, done outside, inside the arc as well. Um, so after every game, we'll receive a full run sheet of the uh, yeah correct free kicks, the missed free kicks, and the unwarranted free kicks. And then also the um, plethora is probably a good word, the, the plethora of free kicks that were reviewed that night that we didn't make a call on and it was correct to call play on as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's wow. a lot of that go into, I guess, reviewing an umpire's performance. So when you were living in Melbourne, does that review of performance happen like players early in the week? You, you might get sent that list. Do you have to ever go into AFL house and sit down with the head of umpiring and, and go through those sorts of things and they, you know, um, I guess, coach you and educate you and help you to be better. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, generically, if I was to have a Saturday game, um, I, I personally like to review mine Sunday morning. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll download the game, watch it back, make my own comments. I'll submit my own comments back to our coach for the day. So we're allocated a match day coach as well right. as um, head coaches. So I'll, I'll send that feedback back to the coach for that day. He'll... Um, He'll come back to me probably on the Monday or uh, Sunday afternoon and give me his comments based on, you know, how he felt the game went. And then our ARC report will generally come through as well at a similar time. So the coach's feedback will be on uh, more things than just the decisional stuff. It'll be how did I run around the ground? How did I uh, position myself? You know, was I in some pretty poor decisions which resulted in me making some poor decisions? Or Pretty poor positions, you mean? Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it'll also be how did I communicate with players, um, you know, and how did I work well as a team? You know, there's, there's three umpires out there that try, have to try and find um, a bit of sync, you know, and how well did I fit into the team? So the coach will have more uh, feedback around those things and the ARC report will obviously have, you know, uh, the decisional side of things. What about that match day coach? And this probably goes down to you were speaking earlier about being wired up, and so you've got earpieces so you can hear the other co uh, the other umpires and what they're talking about and talking to players. And you spoke about that when you were a rookie sitting on the bench, but out on the field you can obviously hear all that as well. Is there any external input from match day coaches during games? Uh, during the quarter breaks, yep. Okay. Yeah. So. So does that person come on the field, or is that just through earpiece? 
No, that's just through earpiece. So he'll sit up in one of the boxes at, at whatever stadium we're at, um, and he'll chat to us at uh, quarter time, and he'll generally come down at half time uh, to the okay. room to us. Um, but yeah, uh, at quarter time and three quarter time, um, he'll come through over the earpiece and, and have a discussion with us on, on how we're going. Yeah, okay. And I'm imagining that that happens amongst yourselves as well in, in quarter time. So you come together and, you know, you might talk about certain things in the game or do you, do you ever talk about, um, you know, does ever, anyone ever say to you, oh, listen, Alex, just, just watch this little duel that's going on. They're getting a bit heated or it looks like there's some off the ball contact or, you know, do, they, do you do that sort of stuff? Yeah, we, we talk about matchups a lot. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so pre-game is definitely one of our preparation things uh, to look at who's playing. Um, Does that happen as an umpiring group or do you do that yourself and then you come together on game day and then share? Um, each individual umpire will prepare differently. Um, for me, I love watching a quarter of each of the two teams that um, I'm umpiring this week from when they played last week. Not only for – I'm horrific with names. So <laughs> – yeah, that must be hard because there's a yeah. lot of players out there. I can't, I can't sort of look at a team sheet and go, all right, number one is whoever and go to, to 22 or, or whatever their numbers are. So I, I familiarise myself best with seeing a player, how they move around the ground, jersey, hair, whatever it might be, and try and take something out. So watching the game the, the, the week before helps me with that. But it also helps me with seeing how players move around the ground um, and then what matchups we might expect. Um, like if you look at uh, my last game was was Brisbane Carlton for an example. Um, so you know who might go to Lockie Neal? He was heavily tagged in the game uh, previously in Brisbane Sydney up in Cairns. Yes. Um, so we we assumed that somebody was going to do that role, and it and it turned out to be Ed Kerno, which we assumed. Um, and, but there's a, a stack of other things. You know, your lion might go to Cripps in the middle. Um, so we've got to be aware of so many different matchups. You know, the forward line is massive too. So Eric Hipwood with Brisbane in the forward line, um, McStay as well. Who's going to go to those guys? So we talk a lot about the matchups, how teams are going to play. The rucks are now a massive part as well. Um, you know, you've got multiple ruckmen. Uh, Martin came back in the game uh, for his first game back last week as well, uh, paired up with Oscar McInerney. So there's so many different things in terms of players and teams that we look at even pre-game, not only just on the ground. And the rucks, I assume, is an important one to, to know who's there because you're looking around for them at all the stoppages. Yeah, the nominations is a big thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also what, what type of ruckman they are. So, you know, you've got McInerney, who's typically a big jumper, so is Martin. Um, but then you've, you've got other ruckmen um, around the, uh, around the um, competition as well that might interact differently. So that throws up different challenges in terms of potential free kicks that they might give away. So Jared Witts is very much a um, grounded ruckman, rarely jumps. So um, him coming up against a jumping ruckman throws up different scenarios as well that we've got to sort of think about too. From a perspective of getting his body maybe underneath the ruckman who's jumping? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you either bounce or throw the ball. Um, if, if Jared's underneath the flight of the ball where he's in, entitled to be, it may look like a block because the other Ruckman's jumping over the top of him. But if he's positioned in the right spot, then it's, it's not going to be a free kick. So knowing that in advance yeah, um, good. allows you not to jump at things. Um, that's just one specific example. What, while you just mentioned throwing the ball up or bouncing the ball, how hard a skill is it? To bounce that ball, it's an oval-shaped ball. It's not even an oval-shaped ball. It's a weird oval-shaped ball. Um, on the centre of ovals around the country, and is there some ovals that are worse than others that you, you umpire on where you can get that centre bounce, keeping it in the confines of that? How big's that circle? It's not very big. No, it's not, not massive. Um, every ground is, is definitely different. Like You've got the Gabba, which is a hard wicket, and throws up its own challenges. Um, you know, you're either going to get it very, very right and very, very high at the Gabba, or you're going to get it very, very wrong at the Gabba um, versus somewhere like the MCG where drop-in pitch, Adelaide Oval drop-in pitch now, um, where it's, it's grass and you've got a little bit more of forgiveness. But, um, mate, I like to think of it a bit much of like a golf swing. Everybody's got their own technique, own way of putting it down. There's fundamentals that you've got to tick off uh, obviously, um, but it's a, um, I think it's really, really cool. Um, 
we're, we're, we're really the only official that has a, a skill to execute on game day. Yeah, sure. Um, so, like, I think we're really privileged to be in, involved in a sport that has that. So I, I really enjoy the bounce. Um, it definitely takes a toll on your body as, as years goes on. Um, yep. But I think it's a really quite – it's a cool aspect of our game. And it's something that has required, you know, some serious time and commitment to develop that skill? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um I think, uh, yeah, for, for as long as I got involved in umpiring, I was bouncing the footy around um, around the training uh, track and uh, trying to trying to hone it in. So, um, yeah, it definitely takes a bit of time to, to acquire. What about, now this might be a skill, might not be a skill, you might laugh at me here. What about whistleblowing? So are there different types of whistleblows that you do during the game for certain infringements or out of bounds versus a free kick or do you blow your whistle in a different way uh not really um there's i mean there's the traditional one sharp blow for most things marks free kicks you know if we're trying to direct attention um you know it's a lot easier especially when there's people in the crowd um the voice doesn't always carry that far so double blowing your whistle to, to attract attention to players they normally respond really well to that. You know, if you're trying to bring a player back onto a mark um, or, or trying to direct a player clear out somewhere, the, the whole um, double whistle that you might hear um, is a big indicator for that. Um, yep. But, you know, typically, or, or moving it on, you know, if a player's taking too long to kick the ball after a mark, etc. cetera, um, you know, the, the double whistle comes in handy for that. But typically, we just, just blow our whistle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I know certainly, you know, other sports, you know, use different, you know, lengths of whistle blows and tones on whistles and all, all that sort of stuff for different things. Um, that was just something that came to me just then. Um, what about what about players? And actually, before I go into players, you spoke before about, um, you know, that you've got, you know, three on-field running umpires as a, as, a, as a team that goes out onto the field. Do you generally umpire with the same uh, people? Panel. Yeah, so like, do you, you generally umpire with three, three officials, and you know they're generally the same guys each week? We've trialed a few things over the years. Um, in the early parts of the year, you know, when we've been away for a significant amount of time, i.e., preseason, um, we come back in the first three weeks and umpire with the same three blokes the first three weeks to try and create a bit of synergy. Um, so we've trialed that before. Uh, we've also it chopped and changed every week. Now I know there's a stack of different elements that our coaches go through on a Monday morning when they're trying to put together appointments, and I know that uh, you know the synergy between different umpires definitely plays a major role in that. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Just knowing each other and your traits, I suppose, is important. Yeah, absolutely. What about um, what about the training component for you guys? Um, you know, we get we get the stats on players as a as a, a viewer on TV. We get the numbers; they spit out all those uh, kilometers covered numbers for the guys that are big runners in the game, the Lockie Neals and the like. As you said, what do you guys track? Do you guys have the same trackers in? Are they tracking where you're moving? Um, and is it more about where you're moving versus how much you're moving? Um, yeah, definitely about where you move too. If, um, I'm a massive advocate of running smarter than harder where I can, but you know, typically back in back in the old game before we had 16 minute quarters, we used to clock up between 14 and 16 k's a game. Wow. The boundary umpires would be 16 to 18, wow. uh, and then since since obviously we've come down to 16 minute quarters, we're now sort of ranging between 11 and 13 now. Um, so yeah, we, we clock up a few k's a game, and and the, the coaches look at. Threshold running, which for us is anything under three minutes, 18K pace. Um, it gets really specific and, you know, did you meet your top end speed, all those kinds of things. Um, and then training during the week for us, we haven't trained together as a group since I think October or November last year with COVID. Um, we, we've been training one-on-one one one for, for the entire season. So we've had our GPSs in for training. Our strength and conditioning coach has done a phenomenal amount of work to make sure the guys are doing the right things just by looking at the numbers. So, you know, 
are you hitting 90% of your top speed every week to make sure that your hamstring doesn't go throughout the year or are you hitting the right threshold numbers in a week to, to make sure that your threshold fitness is high enough? Um, stuff that I never even comprehended were things before this year um, have now started coming into play. So um, typically for me, um, off-season is where we do a lot of work and players are very much the same. Um, we obviously don't have the crash and bash um, and effect of that uh, as players do, but, you know, we'll probably clock up between um, 30 and 50K a week during the off-season and then during the season, inclusive of the games, it drops right back to, you know, 25 to 30K a week um, in, terms of, in terms of running. And is that just straight running for you? So, you, you know, do you just hit the pavement and, you know, in 5K blocks or 6, 7K blocks throughout the week and prepare yourself for the weekend? Um, combination of a couple of things, you know. Um, we do we try to do a lot of match simulation. Um, and in Queensland, when there's a bunch of um, randoms walking around the track and they see me running around in circles and backwards and forwards and all over the park, it looks a bit weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we do a bit of match simulation running. As yeah, well right. as as well as laps around the oval, that can get monotonous really quickly. Yes, yes, very much so. Oh, that's interesting. And what about this year? Given that you're not together as a group in Melbourne, has that been just a, a you know the the strength and conditioning guys sending you your plans, um, assessing how your plans are going on a on a weekly, fortnightly, monthly basis to make sure that you're still doing the work that they can't see you face to face to make sure you're up to speed. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much been it. So um, it's been an interesting year. You know, you've got the, the remote aspect of it. You've also got the um, tight blocks that we've seen this year with the footy frenzy. So everybody's really different. You know, you've got blokes who've got four-day turnarounds. You've got blokes who've got seven-day turnarounds. So I can't imagine what our strength and conditioning coach has been going through this year, <laughs> um, trying to individualise not only field umpire programs, boundary umpire programs, goal umpire programs, but then individualing it to each person based on what their requirement is, when are they backing up, um, what are they got to do next. So um, I know I've checked in with him heaps this year. I've, I've had three weeks of four-day turnarounds during the year where, you know, we might not do the same thing every week, Tuesday, Thursday. It might mean training on a Wednesday instead or, or things like that. So, um the, the, big, um, the big two words that have been used this year are flexible and agile. Um, so, yeah, we've um, definitely had to adapt a bit this year in terms of our training to make sure that we can, can back up for, for each and every game. And how has, the, how has the COVID bubble been for you guys as umpires this year? I know we spoke a little bit about it the other day when you were at it. Nudgy Golf Club having a lesson, mate. But, um, you know, how's, how has it been from an umpiring perspective with COVID and bubbles and and having to deal with all that? Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I was, I was pretty fortunate. I mean, my, my folks are still up here. So after round one, when I, I heard the borders were closing, I decided that um, Queensland summer is a hell of a lot better than Victoria's summer. So oh, winter. I, uh, sorry, their winter. Um, yep. I, I, I flew back here um, after round one. And then just the way this, the, the year unfolded, the first hub, as it was called, was up in Queensland. So I was able to stay up here, stay with my folks, um, still adhering to the, the protocols and everything that um, people have been talking about, um, where we're not allowed to you know, go and sit down at a restaurant or um, you know, have a meal, you know, takeaway only rules sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been up here since round one. Our, our crew, we had a first stand up here where we had about six or 10 guys come up to the Gold Coast and stay in the hub for the first time, then as the season progressed and, and Victoria got worse, um, everybody ended up moving up here, similar to the players. So, wow. um, yeah, we've been we've been very similar in that respect. I also did a stint in Perth. Um, so did you have to quarantine there? Had to quarantine for two weeks over yeah, there. Wow. Um, so, yeah, look, there was um, definitely challenges with that as well. So, um, yeah, this three this year's thrown up a stack of different things that we wouldn't normally have to experience, but um, the whole group has been phenomenal in in adapting and um, you know making sure that the season can go ahead and we can still umpire. Um, I'm really fortunate that I've still been able to work. Uh, we've got a lot of guys who have either um, taken long service leave, unpaid leave um, from their 
their jobs outside of footy to to, um, to relocate back up to Queensland, which is a um, you know a phenomenal effort from those guys. Are most of the guys doing another job? Is there any guys who are just full time umpires in the AFL? Um, most of the guys work another job, whether it be part time or, or casual, um, but uh, and or, or full time as well. Um, obviously, with um, really understanding employers. But um, yeah, most of the guys work another job. There's there's maybe a couple that um, are solely focused on footy, but um, yeah, most of the guys hold jobs outside of footy. Is it is that like you saying that you know you? I guess you've got so much time on your hands between weekend games that you, you know, feel like you get a bit bored if you're not doing something else, or is it that, you know, the, you know, you can't sustain a, a living out of AFL umpiring? Um, no, we're, we're really fortunate. We're quite well looked after by the AFL um, uh, remuneration wise, yep. but I think it's, it's definitely a mindset thing. Um, and I noticed it moving to Victoria, you know, in Queensland, it's a big rugby league, rugby union state, and you can get away from footy pretty easily. Uh, in Victoria, you know, everyone is so fanatical about, yes. about footy. Um, you know, I worked I worked with Ray Chamberlain when I was down in Melbourne for, for a period of time, and, you know, we couldn't even go get a coffee together without him being recognised. So um, <laughs> it's just, I mean, he's a pretty recognisable character, but... Um, yeah, look, it's, it's so hard to get away from footy around there. And I find for me, um, my work is a great way to get away from footy during the week and the opposite as well. You know, footy is a great way to get away from work of a weekend yeah. too. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it balances out really well. So, Alex, tell me about the players and when you're out on the field, I'm assuming it's important to create sort of a rapport with players so they respect you as an umpire. But, you know, how much, how much lip do you cop? How much chatter do you cop uh, from the players? And, you know, when does that cross the line into, you know, potentially a descent situation and a 50-metre penalty as well? Oh, mate, it's a passionate game. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, are so invested in the game they're playing. So there's always going to be some aspect of that. Yeah, sure. um, we, do, we do a stack of work in terms of the player report side of things and we totally understand that it's a two-way street in that respect. So previously, pre-COVID, you know, we would go out to clubs during the season and during yeah. pre-season more so. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to spend a week with Collingwood on the Gold, uh, on the Gold Coast um, with their pre-season camp and, you know, um, training with them, running with them, doing games um, to try and give them, uh, you know, some actual umpiring during their, their pre-season hitouts. So um, pre-season, we do a lot of that. And then, you know, that try and, that, that tends to flow through to the season. Um, when you, you know, as I said before, with the, the research and the players' names, if you can speak to a player with his name rather than his number, he's going to respond a lot better to that. Um, so we have a stack of work in that um, player report side of things. Um, where it becomes too far and might, um, you know, incur a 50-minute penalty or a free kick. Um, you know, it, it, swear words, abuse, direct, um, demonstrative stuff like pointing at me. When it becomes personal is when I tend to award a free kick, but I totally understand and respect the frustration and investment that players have got in games. So, um, you know, each player is very different. Um, no one player is the same, so you've got to treat everybody a little bit differently depending on who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it must be tough. And I remember um, Brisbane Collingwood a few weeks ago when there was a significant stink going on uh, when Mitch Robbo got shoved in the back. And next minute I see you running on the ground. I think you were the uh, fourth umpire that day. So you had your tracksuit pants on. You were nice and warm, sitting in the grandstand, mate, and not wanting to do too much. Next minute you're out on the ground and I'm seeing these giant, bodies and muscles on muscles and what you'd be about 65 kgs ringing wet I, I would imagine so i was thinking what's alex going to do here but you know what do you do in that environment when you know things are on I, I can imagine you just you're trying to blow your whistle and yell at each other get off each other and let's go uh the short answer is not much um, <laughs> that's what i thought try to get in the way i try not to get in the way of a, a random fist or a um <laughs> This is the short answer, but all we're there to do is to try and diffuse the situation in any way we can, and whether that's blowing the whistle or telling players not to get involved or um, 
observing to make sure that, you know, if there is a reportable offence that we get it. Um, you know, the, the, the match review panel generally picks up most of that stuff, but if, if you've got eyes on the ground and can pick that up, yeah, um, yeah, we generally try and make sure that we're there to see it. I think one of the great things that they do in the AFL with regards to little stinks and things that might happen is to get the ball moving. Yeah, you know? that, uh, we, yeah, we call them tactics. Like, that's, that's a, a tactic to diffuse the situation. So, um, yeah, if the ball's moving, you know, as I said, players are invested in the game. And um, if they're, they're too busy, um, you know, in a scuffle, A, their coach is going to give them a massive spray when they come off the bench if the ball's kicked for a goal or, or whatever it might be. But um, definitely a tactic that we use to, to get play moving. Um, generally diffuses the situation uh, pretty quickly. A little phrase you used there was that the players are invested in the game. A lot of people are invested in the game these days, Alex, and and that's the general public through sports betting. It's so massive. Um, and you guys have such a critical part to play in, you know, what might be one kick that, helps a team win versus not win. And the flow and effect from that is that there's some people winning money in their sports betting and others not. And I know there's a lot of, I guess the AFL and all the sport codes do it well in that it's about gambling responsibly. Do you ever find that you get personal attacks on you or group attacks on you as a group of umpires from that perspective? Um, not so much. I think the AFL, in terms of their education, have done a phenomenal role or played a phenomenal role in this space in terms of educating fans, spectators and all stakeholders in terms of umpire abuse. Um, I look at other sports and I think, you know, um, they, they could do it better. I've spoken to officials in other sports um, and I think the AFL is, is phenomenal in that respect. Um, we totally understand the role we play in the game and where we sit in the game and uh, are pretty comfortable in that. Um, and then, yeah, look, crowd noise is awesome. You know, I think the AFL's got some amazing atmospheres in terms of sport, um, you know, whether it's 100,000 at the G or it's going to be 30,000 at the Gabba this year, they're both going to be amazing atmospheres. And whether it's ball or whether it's pushing the back or it's high, they all come together in unison and say that the umpires got it wrong. So, um, yeah. I think that's that's a really cool aspect, and that's not personal. And yeah. if if you're affected by that, then you're probably in the wrong game. Um, but when it becomes personal, I think that's that's sort of where I draw the line anyway. Um, you know, I've had the odd um, spectator or fan hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. You know, that's so easily accessible yeah. these days. Um, but I just try to block that out and, and not worry about it, not respond, and not react. Um, if you're that invested to look up the footy record, find my name, Google me, Facebook, search me, um, then, you know, you've got way too much time on your hands, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, but, you know, it, it, is a, it is a very real thing that you guys have to deal with. One other thing you had to deal with just quickly, because uh, I know we're running out of time here, but uh, you had an incident in Perth last year where, the ball came across the middle of the square and then it angled back in. It was almost like a, a yacht tacking back in. And in the in the footage I've seen, you looked like you sort of glanced left, saw the player coming across and thought, okay, I need to get out of the way here. And so you put your skates on to get out of the way, not unbeknownst to you that a player was coming from the other direction. And it looked for all intents and purposes like he just clipped you. Where Where did he clip you and what clipped you? And were you knocked out at all or? Yeah, I know you didn't. I know you didn't play any further part in the game. That was before half time too. So take us through that incident. Yeah, so that was that was over in Perth, and I got a lovely Facebook reminder about that uh, while, <laughs> I did my, while I did my stint over in Perth. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that was in Perth last year in Fremantle Essendon, I think the game was. Um, and Lockie Schultz from Fremantle uh, clipped me with his left shoulder, and as you said before, I'm, I'm 65 kilos on a heavy day. Um, and, and Lockie Schultz is a pretty pretty solid bloke. Um, so, yeah, look, the, the um, footy was kicked directly at me. Um, I made a decision on the night that I'm going to run faster forwards than I am backwards out of that contest. 
Uh, and yeah, look, Lockie was, you know, solely intent on going the ball. I was solely intent on getting out of there. Um, and yeah, we just collided. So his his left shoulder got me in the right side of my jaw. Yeah, right. Um, the the Essendon doc who was there on the night, um, I was I was concussed. Um, and uh, yeah, came off the ground and didn't play any further part in that game. Did you? Uh, so you obviously have a recollection of it. Is that recollection of it through watching it, or did you have a memory loss through your concussion? Um, it's hard to say. I've seen it back way too many times. Yeah, sure. Um, but oh, I remember the lead up. Um, I vaguely remember hitting the deck, and then sort of after that, I think I was in and out probably for the rest of the game. You know, I think it yeah. we were we were midway through the fourth quarter, and I thought we still had another quarter to go. So. Um, yeah, there was probably a couple of bits of lapse of memory in there, so it was probably probably for the best that I uh, that I didn't play <laughs> part of that game. As as unlucky as it was, mate, it might have indicated your decision to go into umpiring and not play the game. Yeah, it's it's a, a fair indicator, I think. <laughs> oh, mate, brutal! I remember watching a couple of. There's you're not the only one. There's been a couple in rugby league who uh, I remember an, a um, one of the NRL referees slipped over and as he slipped over tony carroll who was a brute of a, a beast of a human went to jump over the top of him and as he went to hurdle him need him fair in the head with his with his knee with his trail leg and he was out cold on the field so mate you're not alone you've got a few uh a few buddies there in the getting ko'd as, a, as an umpire or a, or a referee so yeah it's awesome and you're here still going, so it didn't deter you from continuing on. Mate, thanks so much for the insight into the other side of oh, – I've spoken to a few journos, and that's been fascinating. I'm dying to get a coach on so I can talk to a coach as well on the hard yards, but it's been awesome to have one of our match officials who, who week in, week out, deals with the players, deals with the stress, the pressure, um, and – the awesome part about it is it looks like you just deal with what's in front of you in any given moment and, and make the call that you see and, and move on. And, you know, you wait till post game to, to sort out where you can be better, um, which is just like any athlete, you know? So it's uh, the amount of K's just blew me away. So you're running the same amount of K's as the elite players of the game. Um, and mate, you're doing it nonstop for the whole time versus the, uh, four to five minute interchanges that these boys are doing. So, uh, hats off to you, mate. Congratulations on what's been a, a, a blossoming sort of AFL umpiring career. Uh, I guess the future is that you're going to keep going for the time being. Um, you're still young, so plans to obviously keep going until you get, you know, do you have goals? Do you set yourself goals? Like you'd love to do an AFL grand final, and I'm sure. Yeah, look, I think I think everyone on the list there would love to be a part of the last day um, in the season. Um, so yeah, look, I think um, you know take it take it a year at a time, a game at a time, until uh, you know I'm in a position that um, I'm fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to run finals, and then hopefully, yeah, one day uh, an AFL grand final. That's awesome, and mate, you uh, just keep practicing your golf as well. Plus one handicap now, you're. Uh... You're not far off being able to do the thing that I hate the most with my students is have them beat the coach. So um, <laughs> I don't enjoy that when my students start doing that, but you're not far away from that, mate, I'm sure. Mate, I've got one more question for you. Uh, and as an avid listener of the Hard Yards, you already ah, – it's, it's a shame. You already know the answer. Well, you might know an answer to this, but if you could be anyone, any sportsman, uh, past or present, and live in their shoes for a day, who would it be? Um, earlier episode on your podcast, mate, I'd love to live a day in Scotty's shoes, um, Adam Scott. Um, look, I think listening to his podcast and stripping back away the whole, um, you know, what you see on TV, the way he approaches the game, um, you know, going back to, uh, the Sunshine Coast to spend a bit of time during the COVID side of things, um, the, the golfing with a mate. On, on Instagram, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think he's done wonders for, for golf in Australia. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether it was because um, I watched a lot of replays when I was younger, but I loved watching Greg Norman play golf. Yeah. Uh, the aggressive nature on how he used to play. But if you look at Scotty, um, how pretty his swing is and then how he, um, you know, moves himself around the course, 
is pretty phenomenal. And listening to, to that podcast and a couple of other ones he's been on in the last couple of months, people in the general public haven't really rated his putting. Um, but if you strip back and have a look at the stats, he's not a bad putter at all. Um, so it's amazing to see how perception is, is often a lot um, when it comes to both our sport and golf. So I'd love to, love to live a day in Scotty's shoes, I think. It's, uh, I mean, living a day in Adam Scott's shoes and having that day being the day he won the Masters would have been pretty cool, I can imagine, being the first Aussie to, to put the green jacket on and in the way that he won it, um, holding the putt on 18 and then on 10 in the playoff. But um, you're right regarding his putting. When I had a game with him just before he went back to the US, I have known him for a long time, but we've never been paired together in big tournaments or you know this was the first chance i had to play with him and uh i definitely went there thinking okay we're we're having a game of golf together just two guys what a great opportunity for me to just chew the fat with him and talk family and all the rest of it but i'm sure we'll talk golf as well i came away from that day thinking oh my gosh this this is a guy who has unwavering belief in what he does with the putter and would you believe it? I felt like he had more confidence in his putting than his golf swing. Now, that is complete opposite to what most people in the golfing world would think about Adam Scott. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome to, um, you know, to chat to him over that. And, and it really changed my perception as well. But like you said, stats are sort of backing up over the last 12 months, um, what he's done with the putter. And it's, it certainly hasn't been the weak link in his game like a lot of people think. So, mate, that's a great one. And thank you for not saying Tiger Woods. That list is getting a bit long. So um, I really appreciate you uh, picking another golfer, which is awesome. Mate, all the best. Um, I look forward to catching up with you out on the golf course again as the summer uh, kicks around and we get to spend a bit more time uh, catching up and working on your game. But, um, mate, I certainly wish you all the best next year moving into 2021 in the AFL and certainly hope that that, uh, those goals of making finals footy next year come to fruition for you, mate. I'm sure they will, looking at your dedication and your hard work to get there. So thanks for joining me on the Hard Yards and I look forward to catching up soon, mate. Awesome, buddy. Thanks for having me, mate.